Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. I was wondering if the clink was fake. No, the clink is real. If you guys noticed that there were three awkward clinks there, that's because we've got a guest on today's show. Our first ever guest, it's my brother Dan Ekman, and he sounds exactly like me, so good luck figuring out which one of us is talking. <laughs> Say hi, Dan. Hi, I'm Jeff. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Gosh, Off what to a, a great start. Anyway, we watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you guys. Yeah, which Dan and I had not seen since we were kids. Yep. How, how was that to have known it so well as children and then be like, now I'm an adult? Did it hold up? Were you still happy? A little disillusioning just because <laughs> I remember seeing it in the theater and I was asking my mom like how did they make the people small to shoot that and <laughs> oh, she no. said like no no they built big things <laughs> oh, and man. I like couldn't really understand that at the time I was like yeah I'm pretty sure they made them small right <laughs> they, they created the technology for the movie yeah. <laughs> but now I was like oh yeah I see how this is like. <laughs> right well now that you're a filmmaker That's and a true. director you right. know it's a little, little bit, bit more, more about, about that. I love yeah, this movie. Yeah, just a tad. Yeah. This movie really held up for me. Let's take a quick listen to the trailer. Let's do it. Zelensky, get it right. It's Saturday. Professor Wayne Zelinsky was hard at work on his new invention. This thing works. It'll put us right up there with the invention of electricity. It shrunk the kids. Nick, what happened? I shrunk the kids. And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. Threw them out with the trash. Ah! What? They're in the backyard. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Last Frontier. I'll tell you, their size. It's a jungle out there. Ah! Ah! Nikki, get out of there! Help! Are you saying that that machine blew, blew up? up my kid? No, oh, no, 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 no. If the machine no. had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Honey, I shrunk the kids. We're all the size of boogers. say that movie fulfilled so many childhood fantasies for me yeah. and watching that trailer again i'm like they're still there it's they're a great the fantasies well the fucking giant oatmeal cookie which okay uh, sure, yeah, yeah like because okay, it's like yeah. who wasn't like oh my god i would love to just jump into a vat of cream filling Absolutely. right and it turns out that that 10 foot tall oatmeal cookie was made from polyurethane foam and real cream filling you guys so those kids oh, actually man. got to be like well just rub my face all in it it was that is a dream and then like sliding all over the blades of grass, those were also made of polyurethane. And then like that scene where little Nikki Zelinsky gets dropped into the Cheerios, they, oh my God, it's crazy. So they, <laughs> they basically combined this giant tank full of 16,000 gallons of chlorinated water, food thickener, and pigment, which made it look like milky, mm -hmm. weird cereal oh, milky. It smelled nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly, for the kid Oof. to like swim about. And then the Cheerios themselves were made out of fucking tractor inner tubes covered in foam. So that's not quite oh, as fun. Oh, yeah, that because, looked like the foamiest Yeah, the foamiest ever. Cheerio in the world. Although, like, when you close up on a Cheerio, it probably doesn't look that appetizing, yeah, I, right? Just, I like, imagine it looks like cardboard <laughs> if you look yeah. close enough at it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was cool to look into how they actually built these things. And, yeah. like, the giant ant, how they made it out of, like, horse hair and foam core. Oh. And then just, like, recreated it for the stop motion where the kids ride it around. But that's cool. Early stop motion or late stop motion. Yeah, because right. early stop motion was like, was like, maybe was like Godzilla. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like they had that back in King Kong. Armature, baby. What's, what's that? 
Armature is like the underlying... I'm going to probably get this wrong. That's all right. But it's like basically metal that you can kind of mold into a shape. Or not really mold, but bend into a shape. Uh-huh. So you can kind of move it a little so its arm is up. And then you move it a little bit more and it's arm will, and it'll stay in position. Like it's on a wireframe. It's so it on moves. this. It's like you have like a metal underlying structure. And oh. I think it's like a bunch of pieces of metal that are kind of connected so they can oh. bend. Well, that's cool. That you do it in like sculpture, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. This was the directorial debut of Joe Johnston, who wound up directing the Captain America movie, the first one. And oh. the Rocketeer. And Page Master and Jumanji. And you know, he was a storyboard artist for the first Star Wars. That's oh, that's cool. Really what a awesome. career. Lucrative. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say he's, he's, I'm not worried about his kid's college fund. <laughs> no. But the script was written by people who are usually like Lovecraft horror writers. Interesting. So they're known for this really dark writing and for creating Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And it was written with Chevy Chase in mind. Ugh. And then John Candy turned it down, but he suggested his friend Rick Moranis do it. Oh, and right. that's how Rick wound up in the movie. They they were just buddies? Well, they were old friends from like SCTV. None of those guys read to me as like science men. Right. John Candy or certainly Chevy Chase. Yeah. Fuck. Did you know the film's original title was Teeny Weenies? But 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 that was rejected because they were like, that sounds too much just like a kid's movie that the parents want. And I was like, right. I think there's more problems than it just sounding like a kid's movie. Teeny it sounds like little you dicks. have no idea yeah, yeah exactly dicks. like <laughs> like come on we've like you know and honey i shrunk the kids sounds pretty damn for kids yeah right, it's got exactly. the word kids in the title right in the title. It's just like well it, it you know suggests that there's a marriage which means there's adults <laughs> i have right, right there was evidence of them trying to be like all right we got to have some characters we're gonna fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> So in this movie, they talk about the mechanism of making people smaller as being there's a lot of empty space in our atoms. Right. And so the outer part of an atom is defined by where the electron is orbiting. Okay. And the nucleus of an atom is 100,000 times smaller than what it's housed in. If a nucleus was the size of a peanut, the atom would be the size of a baseball stadium like, oh. to give you a sense of the scale. So we're all just 99.99999% empty space. Really? If we could lose all the dead space inside of our atoms, which we can't, we'll get into that in a second. Sure. The entire human species would fit into the volume of a sugar cube. What? That's how much empty space is actually all inside of us right now. How do they figure that? I mean, I, that sounds crazy. Well, because it's it's just if you take that scale of like the difference between the size where the electron is and the size of the nucleus itself, and you do that for everybody on Earth, then... But we're talking like the individual atoms within us. Like if you like, like all your scootily dude cells. Re- yeah, no, every single atom well, of every... scootily dude cells don't have as much. <laughs> scootily dude cells <laughs> have fewer <laughs> atoms. Yeah, Full of hot air, space. those scootily dudes. <laughs> so in theory... Zelensky is right? Well, if atoms are mostly empty space, like why don't we just phase through each other all Mm -hmm. the time? And it's because the electron and where the electron is orbiting acts kind of like a force field. Okay. Because of the weird stuff about how quantum mechanics works, it's like the electron is actually existing in all places at once. Okay. It was described like, imagine a fan that's off, Uh and when it's off, you see each of the individual blades and you could stick your hand through it. But But when it's on, it's there's a barrier there. I like that. that So that, that explains why we 
we don't phase into each other, but right. it doesn't really explain why it needs like a whole baseball field's worth of space. Well, that's a good question. Like why it needs that space, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this involves some of the fundamental forces involved in the universe, which are the strong force, the weak force, the right. electromagnetic force, and gravity. Those four forces are theorized to be unified in some larger mathematical understanding mm-hmm. that we don't yet have. So okay. one of the greatest pursuits in modern science is this thing called the grand unified theory which would unify those four forces right quantum mechanics means that like the electron which has no mass is somehow simultaneously everywhere in that space and Mm -hmm. we know that that's the case Mm -hmm. but why or i think the the fan image is great if you want to get even crazier (laughs) i do and this and and even more opaque and things you can't understand yes (laughs) they basically think that reality is 2d at the Planck scale And that space-time gradually becomes 4D at larger scales. 4D? Yeah, counting's time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I don't get why or what that means. I have heard a theory about, like, everything's a hologram being projected from the end of the universe to your eyes. Oh, the holographic universe. How the fuck do we understand that? I I don't get it. That implies that things are just so far beyond our understanding. Right, right. And that nature of reality is all fucked up. So, yeah, it's really not (laughs) that different than the Matrix thing. I'm sure you guys have talked about it before, but it's like more statistically likely that we are in the Matrix. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer living in our world where we're like, we've got so much understanding. I know. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, I just need, I'm a control freak in that way. Yeah, we don't. But all that matters is that we think we do. That's exactly right. For our own well-being. So let's say you could get rid of all this empty space in our atoms. One thing about doing that would be that our density would stay the same. So we would be microscopic, but we'd weigh the same as we do now. What? You would literally like shoot through the earth. Right. Because you would be so dense that you would actually like just push your way right down. So you'd be a tiny, just big, fat motherfucker. Yeah. Like, you know, I weigh over 200 pounds. I'm not going to say how many over 200, but. What? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that That in like a tiny little like microscopic sized thing. It's like I have like a little dog, right? And she only weighs seven pounds. Right. But if she puts all of her weight into one of her paws, Uh it fucking hurts. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, you know, yeah, my dog know. Is, wow. that, that's some sort of principle. Of well, yeah, because I don't know gravity. enough about the like density versus mass and what changes right. this and that and the other. Well, the other thing is that if we would become microscopic, <laughs> I read about how biological systems don't always scale. So like with our lungs, if you shrank them by a factor of two, the surface area decreases by a factor of four and the volume by a factor of eight. So the amount of oxygen that you can take in with tiny lungs wouldn't be enough for your whole body. I see. Because it's like literally the amount of surface area that your cells take up is what requires that amount of oxygen to be taken in. Right. The only way where it would work would be if your body was suddenly made out of fewer atoms rather than making less space. But even then, at a certain point, there has to be a certain number of atoms to make up a DNA strand or even further, a brain that's functioning. And so it was something where it was like, you can't make a castle out of three Lego blocks. Right. You could take 100,000 Lego blocks and then turn them into 1,000 Lego blocks that look kind of like the same structure, but you can't do it out of three. This is going to come as a huge shock. Shrink rays are not possible. Oh. Oh, my. At least according to the science we understand. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of tag back into what you were saying about like us thinking we understand everything, much of the Big Bang Theory is predicated on the idea that at a large scale, the universe is homogenous. But in 2013, they discovered a large quasar group that's like, way larger than is mathematically allowed. So we, we basically don't know shit. Can we explain what you mean by homogenous? 
Nope. <laughs> My loose understanding is at like the very, very small scale, physics operates under different principles than it uh -huh. does at larger scales. Okay. And basically okay. they're saying at a certain size, it always operates right. the same okay but then now they've found out it's not, it's not. like right, a okay. even there's like an above they don't scale. know all they know is they're like well that kind of screws with big bang theory mm -hmm. but totally. we're not gonna like get rid of it so check back in, in like a hundred right. years I yeah had, yeah 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 well i had to clarify because i've heard homogenous with regards to like social structures and uh -huh. stuff like that but i've never heard of that in with regard to yeah the just, i think it just means like the same yeah that matter. like the gravity that works here is the works same there. over on right. the other side of the universe yeah. it's like the euro you know it's just consistent <laughs> it's exactly like the euro yeah, i know <laughs> thanks exactly, guys yeah. in just every way bringing it to the layman <laughs> but when the milky way does milky wags it <laughs> Shut Whoa, up. Then we're in trouble. We're talking, yeah, that's when it throws uh, everything out of whack. <laughs> so one of the other things that's crazy about the way things work on the atomic scale is that you have never actually touched any of the objects that you think you've touched. Oh, Excuse yeah. me? On an atomic scale, you... Learned that one in seventh grade science. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you? I remember just being like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much where it ended in some grade. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm sure that's the most I'll ever understand about it. Right. It's, it basically, the electrons of your atoms are repelled by the electrons in the object that you're trying to touch. On a microscopic scale, you're feeling like a force field effect more than you're actually touching the object itself. But why do I feel stuff? Right. The way the force field is built for one type of atom is different yeah. than the way the force field is built for another type of atom. So that's why something feels soft or feels hard but you don't actually feel anything. It's your brain reacting to the impulses right. that it's got. So it's feeling like pressure from mm -hmm. the pushback. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because often people will be like, we see what we want to see. We create our own reality. Right. But like as something as basic And as they always do it in that voice. Right? <laughs> they do. Um, prove me wrong, Dan. Hey, I, didn't, I was just 100% agreeing. Something that we think of as being so terrestrial and like real, the touch, taste, right, you right. know, these like senses. If I can senses. touch it, I can know it. Exactly. That's how you know that something's real. But right. then it's like you don't actually touch, touch anything. I touch, therefore I am. Right. Yeah. So. Exactly. That's I mean, if two atoms. That's, that's the term, right? That is the term. Dick if two atoms actually touched, it would create a fusion or fission reaction, though. So, like, two atoms touching actually happens at the center of a star, and that's what creates the energy that a star makes. Right. Is that how nuclear... That's how they... That's how nuclear... That's how they nuclear? <laughs> that's how they nuclear. <laughs> I was like, is that how nuclear... That is how they nuclear, because high-energy particles fly off so fast that they actually do hit atoms and then break them into multiple pieces, and then that creates a bunch of energy. And so is that happening inside of a star because the gravity is so intense it actually, like, slams them together? That is exactly right. Oh, and my God, you guys. the difference, though, is that when... In traditional nuclear reactors here on Earth, we use fission, which breaks an atom apart and creates a bunch of radioactive byproducts. But in the sun and what we're trying to work on with fusion power, it actually fuses the two atoms together rather than breaks them apart. And then they become one atom and that releases a huge amount of energy without releasing the radioactive energy. Fucking hell, man. But, but radioactive waste is so great. Oh, it's our favorite. <laughs> it's such like a positive. It's my favorite wave, man. But the thing that we're not actually touching anything, that means we're all hovering right. on our chairs right now. Totally. Just a little bit. And then I realized when I read that, that like hoverboards are really just regular skateboards. Fuck you. Sure. Sure, man. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. Tell that to the Lords of Dogtown. <laughs> okay. Back in the day... This is Dan talking, guys. Yeah. <laughs> they thought that sperm was a tiny, fully formed human being. 
just the just actual like ejaculate? A, a hun- the, yeah, that like a, like tiny, tiny within the ejaculate. This was like put forward by like Pythagoras. Uh-huh. It's called preformationalism. And they believed it for way too long. And they basically thought that like the male provides all of the criteria for what the person is and mm-hmm. that all that the woman does is like provide like material for it to like grow. Right. Super not Classic. true. Uh, yeah. 1677, they actually were able to see the first individual sperm when they obviously didn't look like right, a little man. Right, right. And they were like, it's a little capsule. With which the, that has a man inside uh-huh. it, and like certain like people with microscopes were like, I can see like a dude in there. <laughs> I can see a little dude. Sure, once you actually see it, maybe it's not a little guy, but it is fascinating. There are fucking actively swimming. Oh, they little, like, little creatures. They're not they that far been, off. They could have right. been yeah. more wrong. Yeah, they could have been more wrong. There are little semi-living beings. I mean, mm-hmm. sperm have a sense of mm-hmm. smell. They kind of figured out relatively early on, like if you don't have sex, you don't have a you baby. don't have a, and yeah. if you do, you do. <laughs> right, but. <laughs> realizing that the baby has some attributes of the mother mm-hmm. i guess they just assumed they that just was from that eating was, yeah that was from the from like feeding it it was at one point actually used to explain why original sin happened because you know the idea is that we all sinned inside of adam and the idea was that literally the entire human race existed inside of his balls they call it like the homunculus was like the tiny little man in the sperm and they're like and then that tiny little man has sperm inside it and sperm inside it and sperm inside it so we were all present right. for this sin oh and therefore we dang. all committed it we're all just living in his balls i'm sure glad we've learned a lot of stuff since then yeah <laughs> it's a different time now <laughs> yeah but it was only really abandoned in like the late 19th century they started to get into like the idea of like that cells are a thing right uh-huh and then they started to go like, oh, okay. And then there was like a lot of debate for like a couple hundred years. How did this go into like breeding of both like crops and maybe dogs and stuff like that as far as them understanding that both of these things together made the next generation? They were wrong. No, I, mean, I they, love they, Jeff's <laughs> questions. Like, surely you know. <laughs> they were clearly aware that like you have some traits of your mother, mm-hmm. even physically. Right. And so I think they just thought like once it's in the incubation <laughs> phase, it's receiving shit from the mother somehow mm-hmm. that figure they weren't yeah. right. I right. Right. Know. I mean, it's, it all boils down to trying to explain a world that you don't understand. And yeah. until they have the technology to see things on the microscopic level, you're going to come up with whether it's God or whether it's, you know, a little man in your dick. I or don't that know. homogenous <laughs> universe thing where like we have this big bang theory that seems to explain everything. Right. And then right. we're like, uh, not that. <laughs> and so yeah. it's just like, we'll just skip it. That's right. what's great about that is that they got part of the way there. Like what they had figured out was a step in the right direction. And I think that's what what the Big Bang Theory, especially nowadays, is looked at as is like we had to get rid of this solid state universe theory and come up with the idea of the Big Bang. Okay, the Big Bang isn't exactly right, but it's righter than that other theory, right. and it got us to then think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And so, good for the Greeks. Yeah, good for the Greeks. Good for the we'll Greeks. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> movie there's a lot of remote controls that fucking neighbor kid that comes over to mow the lawn and he's like playing with Zelensky's remote and he's like he's yeah thrilled. what does this joystick do well I feel like there was a ton of like Rube Goldberg machines which I'll right. get into in a minute but they were kind of like remote control devices yeah, yeah. Like some like half-assed Doc Brown stuff in the house right, right. yeah exactly but especially that kid being like what's this joystick do like yeah like yeah, having a blast right. just mowing the lawn so I wanted to go through the history of the remote control Dope. we're so used to it these days so as far back as even 
1893, Nikola Tesla described a remote control in a patent, but the first machines that were operated by remote controls were used mainly for military purposes. Like, the German Navy developed radio-controlled motorboats to ram enemy ships in World War One. They oh, Yeah, they had, they had radio... Yeah, classic German Navy stuff. <laughs> they had radio-controlled bombs and other weapons that were used in World War II. But then once the wars were over, the United States decided they wanted to find a quote-unquote normal use for remote <laughs> controls. So then, like, in the late 1940s, the automatic garage door openers were first introduced, which, mm. you know, it's yeah, helpful, right? Sure. You want to get out of your fucking car. Oh, that was okay, the first, Lord, no. co- like, civilian use of yeah, the remote control? Yeah, first civilian use. But the first commonplace use was the TV remote control. Now, that mm-hmm. wasn't invented until 1950 by Zenith Electronics Corporation, then known as Zenith Radio Corporation. Until They're- then, you had to not touch that dial. <laughs> right. That's the whole, that's where that came from. But the first TV remote control they they called, and I love this, Lazy Bones. Mm. And I was like, of course. Is it like, was it in the shape of a bone? Nope, it nope. wasn't. It, it, it almost kind of looked like if you're at a hospital and you press your button, the morphine drip. It was okay. like a small thing, but it had this cable that ran from the television set. It's a wired remote. It so. just brings the button to you. That's right. So the motor in the TV set operated the tuner through the remote control. So people liked being able to, you know, not get off their ass, but they didn't like that there was a cable that was running through the, the living room. Sure. Let's jump forward to 1955 when the flash was invented also by Zenith. This was the first wireless TV remote. Now, this had four photocells. Photocells are just devices that convert light into electrical energy by producing a voltage. And they had one in each corner of the TV cabinet around the screen. Ah, when TVs were cabinets. Yeah, exactly. The cabinet (laughs) thing. You're like, oh, you never wanted to move because that itself was like four tons. But so this like pioneered the concept of wireless TV remote controls, but it had limitations because there wasn't any circuit protection. If you left your TV in like a sunny area, Area, the, the tuner might start rotating, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's a ghost. <laughs> it is a oh, ghost. Oh, it's hot out. Yeah, it's just really warm. So then these engineers started looking towards radio. They were like, ah, how do we avoid the cords? How do we avoid these fucking photocells? But because like radio waves could go through walls, the idea was that you might inadvertently change the channel in another room uh-huh. or in someone else's apartment. The engineers believed that people wouldn't like the sound associated with that. Like if they used distinctive sound signals for the remote, that people would be like, I fucking I don't want to buy this. Through radio waves? Radio waves that you could hear. Like the actual sound signals. You hear, you old timey words like, so this this is even before ultrasonics, which is like above human hearing. So back in the day when they were first developing this, this was things that people actually heard. So the radio waves were just a different length that we could actually hear. They were like different frequencies. They were different sounds. So wait, what's a radio wave then? I thought it was just sound like a long. Okay, cool. I'll shut up. In a second. (laughs) Okay. So the, the other thing too is like if they use these specific sound signals that trigger the television that it would be hard to not have whether it's household appliance sounds or sounds coming out of the tv that would like basically confuse the transmitter or whatever Mm -hmm. so shortly thereafter this zenith engineer suggested using ultrasonics now that's high frequency sound beyond the range of human hearing as a new approach so Similarly to our great seal theremin bug that we talked about on the Mission Impossible episode. Which I listened to. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Getting points. This particular transmitter did not use any batteries. It was built around these lightweight aluminum rods that when struck at one end emitted distinctive high frequency sound. (laughs) Wait, would you have to like actually like tune it? So at first they used four rods that were each cut to approximately 
exactly two and a half inches, but just different enough that if they were hit, that there would be a slightly different sound. So there was one for channel up, one for channel down, one for sound on and off, and then one for power on and off. They were excited by a trigger mechanism, similar to like the trigger of a gun. And so they stretched a spring across and then released it so that a small hammer actually physically hit the rods and emitted these sounds. Nice. So the design phase started in 1955. Then as early as 1956, it went into production as Zenith Space Command. <laughs> All yeah. right. Oh, they innovated on that television really quick. Yep. They sure did. Mm-hmm. That whole process was pretty fucking crazy. Because there was like a couple of bucks in it, I think. There were, there were a few there dollars, were two dollars to be made. There might have yeah. been a market for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even when Zenith Space Command came into effect, the original thing was super expensive, right? Because it also required this whole elaborate setup in the TV, which required six additional vacuum tubes and stuff. So it like increased the price of the television by 30%. So first, this was, you know, it was a luxury. Right. But then in the early 60s, transistors began to replace vacuum tubes. So that became cheaper. Then you could have these, like, handheld battery powered. What the fuck is a vacuum tube? See, that's I don't even fucking know what a vacuum tube is. A vacuum tube is what the original computers were made out of. So they worked like transistors, which are able to be on a full silicon chip. Wait, now, hold on now. And work like transistors mean? Transistors can be on or off. It's basically oh, okay. what allows you to actually like compute anything. Binary. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you would have like 10 <laughs> vacuum tubes, and so those would act as your 10 transistors. Now we have billions of transistors on right. a chip in our phone. Okay. But what that moment was was switching from the old giant tube yeah. system to we have silicon chips that can do the same totally. thing. Totally. Sweet. So, like, with these advancements in the actual television set themselves, it became more of a, you know, realistic thing mm-hmm. to, to have the remote. So, this, like, ultrasonic remote took hold of the industry and actually lasted well into the early 1980s when they started moving to infrared technology, which is what we use today, right? Well, infrared? actually, yeah. it's well, yeah. what we used up until very recently. Right. Because that's the technology where you actually have to point it at the TV right, in order right, to do right. it. Right, right, right. Which most people still use. Most people still use. I'm just saying, like... the newest TVs, they use Bluetooth or they use radio frequency. In case nobody knows what infrared is, it's just a low frequency light beam so low that the human eye can't see it, but that can be detected by the receiver on the television. So like I would imagine like with some of the VR stuff that you're doing, like you don't have to be... Oh, you got to be connected right now. You have to be connected. You You better believe it. I mean, they're going to work on ones where you can't, but Mm -hmm. that's one of the limitations right now is that you definitely got to be hooked into your system. Mm -hmm. You got to be very okay with looking like a jagoff. Oh, Yeah. yeah, which I am. Oh, oh yeah, I, it totally no, is. No question yeah, about that. It's fucking great. Yeah. I was looking into Rube Goldberg machines, which those. apparently this was big at the time because, yeah, you mentioned Doc Brown. Mousetrap. Hello. Yeah, Mousetrap. <laughs> Pee Wee's Big Adventure yeah, had dude, a bunch of ones. It's all about Mousetrap. It's all about <laughs> Mousetrap. Well, for like kids that actively were like, I'm creating Rube Goldberg machine. I, right. don't I remember what getting I was Mousetrap and being like, this isn't as cool as the commercial. And the setup was so <laughs> fucking intense one. for so little payoff, yeah. I felt. But sorry, Rube. <laughs> sorry to shit on your inventions. Yeah. Yeah. You going to tell us about Rube himself? Yeah. <laughs> Ruben Garrett Lucius Goldberg, Ooh. known as Rube, never actually built any of these machines. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist and drew a lot of these contraptions in his cartoons. What? He lived from 18... Wait, hold on. Why is that so mind-blowing? It's disappointing. Well, I just... I I certainly (laughs) thought that he was an engineer or something. I think he did have an engineering degree, but (laughs) it's disappointing. He's a fucking doodler. He's a fraud. (laughs) He lived from 1883 to 1970. And he also wrote a movie in 1930 called Soup to Nuts, which starred the Three Stooges before they were Mo, Larry, and Curly. 
Was so there sham? What? They were a vaudeville group that were four dudes that called themselves Ted Healy and his Stooges. <gasps> they actually started, they were hecklers of Ted Healy's show. They oh, were like plants, audience plants. Yeah. It was like a heckle bit. And somewhere in the process, they figured Someone's out, oh, like, those guys are better. They had, oh. they had like a big like business fallout with Ted Healy. And they were like, and then you guys Shem- are where it's at. But Curly we didn't come to later. Curly was like, uh, they're low. Do we need to get into the history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, I recently did a deep dive on this for no reason. <laughs> so Shemp was like the older brother of Moe and Curly. Uh-huh. He looked a lot like Moe. Moe's the one with the bowl haircut? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the original Three Stooges were Moe, Shemp, and Larry. Oh. <laughs> and at one point, they, they added a guy. His last name was Besser, and he is related to Matt Besser of the Uprising. Oh, Peter. my really. God. But anyway, they had some business falling out, and they went and they did their own like short films, and they were really popular. And at some point, Shemp got back in with Ted Healy. And so then they brought in like their little brother, Curly. There's a Three Stooges biopic, is there? Should there be? There is. Well, not a a, a biopic. There's like a relatively recent feature film starring (laughs) Will Sasso and others. But that's like of the Three Stooges. Right. Not about the Three Stooges. No, 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 no. There there should be. There may be. I don't know. Let's Uh, do it, guys. Let's um, do it. Yeah, we'll do that on the podcast. We should do it. Side dive, side dive. I call Mo. (laughs) <laughs> All right. You're Larry. I'll be Larry. For sure. I'm Curly. <laughs> You'll be Shemp. I'll be Shemp. So yeah, Rube Goldberg wrote that early Stooges movie. During World War II, he actually got so much hate for his political cartoons that he insisted his sons change their last name. And they what? changed it to George. But one of them was what? named George. So it was George George and oh, Thomas no. George. It's like the Foreman's man. Just all sorts of oh, That's true. He's got like a million kids named George. Yeah. <laughs> really? George Foreman has oh, like yeah. a bunch of kids named oh, George. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. That. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. All right. Getting back to Rube Goldberg. So Rube Goldberg won the Pulitzer Prize for a cartoon of FDR standing over a complicated machine with all these parts that were labeled things like Fireside Chats and the Wages and Hours Act and the Farm and Home Loan Bank. And, like, all of these would feed through these tubes, and finally, like, the machine lets one drip of water out into a cup FDR is holding, and FDR says, nothing seems to be happening. This was, so the Rube Goldberg machine was, like, a fucking dig at American bureaucracy? He won a Pulitzer Prize for that. Nothing's coming out of here. There's so many gizmos and... (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. It's like, I've got all these contraptions set up, and the country should work. Right. So he was, like, a big conservative? Well, he at least used it as that. Right. He had a ton of different crazy cartoons. A cartoon called Mike and Ike, and then in parentheses, they look alike. Boob McNutt. Yes! Okay, nice. Poor name. What are you (laughs) kicking about? And Kick, wait. That was a cartoon. That was a character. Was what are you kicking that about? That was one of his. Oh, strips. kicking about, not like what is it that you're kicking about? <laughs> no, right. no, no, no. It's like what are you kicking about? Right, exactly. That's a turn of phrase. Yeah. I love us learning like yeah. turns of phrase of your. Well, he also had other ones like telephonies. A regular character of his was Professor Butts. But he never made the machines. He, he never made them. the machines. But eventually, he had a strip called Weekly Inventions, and I noticed a pattern looking at a bunch of these, oh which was that a common thing that Rube Goldberg would include in his inventions was midgets. <gasps> uh, that is not the right word to use. That is the word that he. No, uses. no, no. But you, okay. I'm saying he's. I'm just going to say that was problematic. You could have totally said he included small, little people. Little people. Well, uh, what I'm saying is it's not even. Because based on his drawings, it's not like an actual little person. It's like. 
a tiny person. You know what's crazy is earlier when we were talking about teeny weenies, I was like, sounds like midget porn in my brain. <laughs> but I stopped myself because I knew that that it's was politically incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and now here we are. Here we we're are letting it all about, hang out. Know, it seems like there was something about this space today that was like, the word midget's coming out. <laughs> it's coming out, whether you want it or not. Yeah. Kind of like a Final Destination, but for the word midget. <laughs> well, Final Destination was a movie that included a lot of Rube Goldberg movies. <laughs> So it all comes full it all circle. there's a perfect circle here. <laughs> but yeah, I read one where it was like a bell rings which startles the midget who jumps out of a window and then lands on a platform which lifts the thing which fires so off the a gun. Is it's like part of the Rube It's Goldberg. part of oh the good my machine. God. Of course this little man will just live there forever. Right. A lot of this stuff didn't hold up to a modern sensibility. A lot right. of his inventions were just stupid. But what's what's great is us as evolved people of the 21st century <laughs> can learn about this. Right. We're a higher form of being than they were. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, Rube. Well, I guess now there's an app called Rube Works where it'll allow you to build digital Rube Goldberg machines on your phone. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, every year teams compete in Rube Goldberg machine contests. We clearly have like a weird right. love for these pointless contraptions. It's like a series of levers and pulleys. Right. Like we haven't really, have we talked about like the actual physics? An actual, what well, a Rube Goldberg machine is for yeah. people that don't know? Oh yeah, dude, for, if you don't know what a Rube Goldberg machine is, even listening to this, you're like, <laughs> for you what? what? Fuck him. <laughs> well, we kind of mentioned Mousetraps. So right. Remember you, that. Figured, you mentioned mousetraps. I was like, that covers right. it. Okay, but for okay. anybody who doesn't, just in case, a Rube Goldberg machine is one of those contraptions where it's like you drop a marble, which hits a weight, which knocks over a book, which pulls a string, and basically it right. ends up doing some simple task like dropping an ice cube in your drink. Also, are you guys familiar with the band OK Go? Oh, yeah. Their videos yeah. often use Rube Goldberg machines. They have one that's like a like, giant Rube Goldberg yeah. machine. I'm sure we'll link to it this week. But yeah, what is it like just the obvious precision that was required and like the incredible ingenuity put into something so pointless being like an incredibly human thing? Is it like understanding cause and effect? Maybe that or also knowing how much trial and error had to happen right, before right. it actually worked. How many times that you've come to like, almost the end and something goes wrong right. and you have to set the whole thing up all over again. Well, like, also, yes, like, yeah. the one superpower that humans have is pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, like, our whole everything. So that's, like, the ultimate in watching, like, a pattern. Yeah. And no. so you're just that's like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Yeah. Right. It's it's basically the opposite of hearing about the holographic universe. <laughs> right. You're like, mm. you're like I, totally get I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I feel, I don't touch it. I don't touch it because we can't actually touch anything. But I see it. We're just hoverboarding against each other. All right, so in the movie, Rick Moranis is right. All of his stuff is right. He's got a shrink ray that works. Yeah. But he's like kicked in the dick out of the scientific community. Humiliated. And he's humiliated. So I got a couple examples of times that's happened to scientists where they were later proven to be right, but at the time, not so much. So I'm going to get some of these names wrong. But basically, there's this guy... Ignaz Semmelweis okay. is Sounds the right. best I can do. <laughs> he was in the something century. Oh, boy. Hold on. <laughs> he was a little bit before Louis Pasteur. Okay. okay. Pasteur. And basically, he ran two childbirth clinics. One was run by these kind of fancy doctors and was a teaching clinic. And the other one was for people who couldn't afford health care and was only staffed by midwives. But... Your chances of dying from disease was like crazy higher in the fancy one. What he did was he figured out that the reason was because the medical students weren't washing their hands between touching the cadavers. Oh my god! And working on childbirth. Woof. And what, so to childbirth. They wouldn't wash. Yeah, they would just be like 
diddling bodies and then diddling babies. I don't know, diddling. Hopefully not, diddling. Hopefully not I, that's diddling. That's not a term. <laughs> well, it was the 1800s. They're fucking you around right here. You know, oh, know. God. What? Oh, man. <laughs> Whatever, but they it were... It doesn't seem so obvious. You're like, you, wash your fucking hands, You would bro. think. You would think. He insisted that the students use, like, a chlorine wash, and immediately the death rate plummeted to, like, 1%. Unreal. But he got in trouble for accusing the medical students of being dirty. And so he was fired <laughs> and kicked out on the street. Partly, they think, because he didn't, like, properly document, like, the cause and effect. Because you'd think they would have hailed him as a genius, but right. they didn't. He was eventually thrown into an insane asylum and beaten to death. You're fucking beaten kidding me. Yep. What? Years later, when Louis Pasteur had the germ theory, they were this like, oh, was- he had it figured out. That is outrageous. Well, so well done, scientific community. And it's not him saying that they were dirty. It's that, like, right. you have, it's the cadavers that are dirty. You he fuck. wasn't even only theorizing it. He was going, like, here's evidence. Let's do it. Right. And then they were like, great, everyone's living now. I guess, fortunately, Zelensky was not sent to an asylum and beaten to death. That is fortunate. He was just. That would have been a different movie. <laughs> like, if he had accidentally killed the neighbor's kids. Maybe a different story. Well, well incidentally, I, the, in the original script, one of the kids during the like the lawnmower scene or something was supposed to okay, die. Okay, yes. Because they just got sucked into the lawnmower and, and then nothing flown out. happened. They just there was no right danger. Yeah. They're like, lawnmower! They kept some, some death wind. around there in right. the movie with the ant dying from oh, the scorpion. Because all of your backyards have scorpions in them? Right. I was wondering about like where... In America, it took place, and right. if there were scorpions there, I didn't There's, care. Yeah. Right, right, you don't. But care. I wondered because right. you also want just that little, like the little dingle dangle of a threat, but also you want the kids to just end up in a giant oatmeal cookie. By yeah, the end. and luckily that <laughs> happened. They slept in a Lego, and I was happy. Yeah, I would not have been happy if one of the children was like stung to death <laughs> by a fucking scorpion. So anyway, this other guy, Ludwig Boltzmann. Mm-hmm. Also in the 19th century, at a time when nobody could agree on the nature of matter, even though he didn't invent the idea of atoms, he was their chief defender. And at the time, defending the existence of atoms was akin to defending creationist version of origins of man theory today. That's how well accepted you were by science. Oh, my God. Oh. And so he ended up being shamed out of the scientific community and the emotional burden of being the only right guy in the world, coupled with likely an undiagnosed bipolar disorder, was too much for him to handle, and he hung himself three years before it was proven undeniably that atoms no. are real. Holy fuck. Well, God, when was even bipolar disorder diagnosed? Well, they, that that's just, they're yeah, going like, he probably, he probably had, well, yeah. I know, was that, that's extra like bummed. a factlet on top of all sorts of other factlets, but that is one element where you're like, this like genius yeah. versus insanity. Well, like He's like a, a Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, he's a genius, but. Or uh, was it Cassandra in either Greek or Roman? Yeah, What's the story of Cassandra? Okay, my understanding of Cassandra <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that she was cursed by one of the gods to have all of the knowledge possible, but she sounds crazy to other people. Oh, yeah, okay, I've heard okay, this. okay. Yeah, that's Cassandra. Gregor Mendel Oh yes. Oh. discovered genes, like recessive, dominant, whatever, and he mailed it out to everyone in the scientific community, and they called him crazy, and he died sad. Years later, botanists found his works and were like, wait a minute, this dude's right. Right, because in high school, I remember learning specifically Mendel's work. Yep. It's not like he was... Well, but it was closer to a Van Gogh-esque... He died with everybody going like... Yeah. "Mm." And maybe even being like, am I wrong? 
Right, right. Yeah. Inherently, legacy is what exists beyond your death. So right. it's like Edgar Allan Poe didn't fucking know that he was going to be this renowned writer when right. he died broke and alone or whatever. So it's like these people that made these huge discoveries in the scientific community, but at the time were ostracized and stuff. It's, it's crazy yeah. to think like what oh, their Galileo's legacy is actually. Oh, Galileo's a vintage one. I just skipped yeah. over that. Oh, right. yeah. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> everybody OG, knows OG. Galileo. <laughs> but no, it's funny uh, what you say about legacy because Joya and I just saw the show Hamilton this oh, last God. week. Oh, yeah. Hello. There was a line like late in the show about like legacy being seeds that you plant that the fruits of which you'll never see thank god because i was like that was it has been in my brain but i forgot why so i was like i must just yeah. be really fucking intuitive and then it's like no dude we just saw a play about it right. two days ago remember that scene where nick Zelinsky gets dropped into a flower and he sneezes and stuff yeah all right pollen baby <laughs> pollen baby then I wanted, he rides a bee i wanted to learn about allergies yeah. I don't have them. I'm a lucky motherfucker. I Me don't have too. any allergies. You don't have any allergies? Nope. Do you have any allergies, Dan? I'll, I'll have an allergic reaction to stuff. Although I learned recently that apparently, maybe I have a dairy allergy. I don't know. I don't want to believe it, but I think it might be true. What are allergies, guys? Well, to put it simply, allergies are just abnormal immune system reactions to things that are typically harmless to most people. So when you're allergic to something, your immune system mistakenly believes that this substance is harmful to your body. So your body's trying to protect itself from the allergen. So the immune system releases antibodies, one of which is called histamine. Histamine. Right. And histamine then attacks the eyes, nose, throat, lung, skin, or gastrointestinal tract and causes so wait, the what symptoms. the fuck is histamine? What's the positive side of histamine? <laughs> well, is what you're saying basically that people with allergies bodies think that histamine is attacking them when histamine's no. actually not doing anything? They think that whatever the trigger is, so whatever you eat, whether it's an environmental allergen, whether it's cat hair, whatever, is attacking your body, so then it releases histamine, which oh. attacks all of those systems. Well, then histamine is so a good thing to attack the bad things. Yeah, but right? what, what <laughs> happens is it fucks with your... That's why people take antihistamines, because then it attacks those parts of your body. Like, it seals up your nose you can't breathe as easily because it's trying to keep that trigger outside of it so then you can't fucking breathe so it literally just blocks you up to stop it from coming in that's right yeah Ooh, that makes sense so you know oh, okay. yeah 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 so like allergic reactions can be mild it can be you know like a runny nose or you know your eyes are kind of itchy mm -hmm. like a rash if you eat something that you don't like or it could be you know kind of serious so anaphylaxis like, uh, and stuff yeah like that. anaphylaxis is when it's very severe that's when you have like trouble breathing or swallowing that's when like your lips swell your tongue swells this kind of like you l maybe lose consciousness or what yeah. have you well because if your throat swells up then you can't breathe yeah i mean it's it, that's I, where you get the EpiPen, which has epinephrine which is basically a fake version of natural adrenaline and then mm -hmm. you slam the pens are these cool things because they're they're strong enough to go through jeans and stuff like that because you have to do them in an emergency mm -hmm. so like you slam it into your jeans leg in pants yes we were talking about various types of jeans in this episode and i do mean j-e-a-n-s <laughs> what's that last Wait, why do you itch to me it sounds like it depends on both the allergy what you're like what you're allergic to and how you respond to it so like maybe certain dyes or chemicals laundry detergents kind of thing might irritate your skin you might get a little bit of a rash but they can be a lot more serious like when you said with food allergies it sounds like is the most intense maybe right. bee stings but like bee stings, food allergies allergy like peanut yeah. allergies, tree nut allergies, those are the most severe, and that's when you need an epinephrine thing. The best way that you can even avoid these reactions is just 
just staying clear of the trigger altogether. Whereas like with trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Being prone to having allergies is hereditary. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that because like your brother or your dad or whatever has an allergy that you're going to get it too. Like, cause my dad's allergic to cats. So fucking thank God that I'm not allergic <laughs> to cats, but it does mean that you would be more prone. How many cats do you have? <laughs> I have a cat right now, and she's great. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting to think, too, that, like, just because, you know, my father is allergic to cats doesn't mean that I'm going to have that exact allergy. It could mean that I would be more prone to having an allergy of any kind. So a lot of times people talk about seasonal allergies, and that pertains to our buddy Nick Salinsky, who was Mm. allergic to pollen, right? Now, that allergy is actually called... Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Nick Salinsky. Friend of the pod, Nick Salinsky. So his allergy to pollen is actually called hay fever if you've heard that okay now this is an allergic reaction to the fine powder that comes from the stamen which is the male fertilizing organ of the flowering plant so obviously the man is responsible which is actually a giant yeah (laughs) it's a tiny little plant right but you know because because that that pollen because the pollen is so fine it can be carried a long way through the air and easily inhaled so this is like when people say they have seasonal allergies it might be because like in the spring there's blooming plants like oak birch hickory that fuck with people whereas like in the late summer and fall you're most likely affected by ragweed if you have a pollen allergy mm. fucking names man hornbeam tree the timothy Ooh. grass there's weeds the called grass. there's weeds called nettle is that like timothy green timothy it's green the grass. The grass there's weeds <laughs> called nettle mugwort goosefoot and sorrel are you guys familiar with goosefoot do they goose step uh, yeah. no I those hope sound not. like horcruxes <laughs> apparently they're weeds and hopefully you know hopefully you're not allergic to them because quick quick taste. side note i've been known to have like a seasonal allergy basically during the whole kind of drought here in la mm-hmm. i wasn't really getting them and then this year we had more water oh. and, and things grew and i've been like oh, in, i've been like they... riddled with hives it's interesting that you said because they grew because i i learned that like if you live in a place with very hot, dry, and windy days, there's more likely going to be pollen in the air. Whereas oh. if you live someplace that's like cooler and rains a lot, the pollen's washed away. Well, I also but don't know shit. So. Well, no, not that you don't know shit, but also the fact that our drought meant that things weren't growing. Right, right. right, right. So it's interesting because it's like, yeah. yes, it's hot and arid and whatever, but we have had the end of our crazy how long drought. I don't even know how long it was supposed to be. Like six years, something like that. Did you guys know that there's something there's something called allergy pollen counts? Like you can actually go to like pollen.com and check out like today's best and worst cities for pollen to figure out how it's going to affect you. Do they have like a pollen sniffer? It's like it's like a net that they throw through the air and then go like this is how many pollens I'm, we caught. I didn't like investigate pollen.com. I mean maybe just based on patterns or like this is the time of year when so and so trees It's got to just be generally in the air too so yeah. I assume a sensor could pick that up. Yeah. My wife did an allergy test at like a doctor. It was like a blood test? They like put patches of shit like on her skin mm-hmm. and somehow it came back that what she's allergic to is guinea pigs. What? That's really? so random. She, did she, she ever encounter in contact them? with them? Right. Like, not like, even like a like they, school, like I don't a know. I think they put or... a little guinea pig poop on her skin or something. Wow. Or I, maybe it wasn't poop. Well, I mean, I hope it wasn't well, like for a lot of those environment, for a lot of those, yeah, the dander, like the environmental allergens, you can take these kind of like immunotherapy, these like allergy shots that'll help your symptoms. Uh-huh. But the things that you can't treat and that you have to avoid altogether are are food allergies. So like the most common Contains of which nuts. 
Right. right. Yeah. Exa- that's a big one. The most common of which are nuts, milk and other dairy products. Seafood is a big one as well. Mm-hmm. So this gets to my story being like, it's not like I'll die if I have dairy, but I realized, and I was doing some research, apparently dairy is a fucking inflammatory. So it like, if you're, oh, if yeah. you're prone to like acne or something, which I am, mm. I'm on fucking greasy ass skin. So last, <laughs> last weekend I went pretty hard. I got drunk and like went pretty hard on a pizza. <laughs> and the next day I was like breaking out. I was like literal pizza face because I, <laughs> (laughs) think of all the cheese and I realize more and more I'm like I don't want to have a dairy allergy because I love ice cream but here we are you can't treat those things like I said you have to avoid them altogether it's weird to me how common of a thing shellfish allergies are because if you think about it like we all came from there, right? Like, well, and I'm not the sure. The ocean is like, <laughs> I, I mean, like, if you go like back <laughs> far oh, enough. Yeah. That's like, just, I mean, you know, that's airtight science. Yeah, yeah I mean, but like, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it is weird to me. I mean, well, but I, some, I, some stuff is just tolerable. I mean, like, you know, you look at a lot of animals in the wild and they're just spending most of the day itching themselves. <laughs> and it doesn't true. seem like that has like an evolutionary purpose I mean, other than they're fucking super itchy. With, yeah. with the dairy, it makes sense because there's been a lot of studies in terms of like how humans really shouldn't be drinking milk Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to get into any kind of debate, but it does make sense like being, you know, something that bloats you or like, that's fine. That's the annoying allergy, I would say. Whereas like I had a friend who like there was a stray peanut oil in something she had. She Mm. fucking almost died. It's crazy. My boyfriend, we went to a clam bake and I didn't realize that he was apparently allergic to seafood. So his face swole (laughs) up and I was like, I don't know what to do. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's luckily, you know, it's I'm going to name drop my wife again. (laughs) But she, uh, you have. I haven't said her name. Sorry. Maggie. <laughs> I know Maggie. <laughs> Everybody knows who Maggie is, but yeah. he knows Maggie. But I right. actually know her. In the biblical sense. She, true. <laughs> anyway. She, yeah. Now, I don't know if this officially counts as allergy or where this goes. She used to love scallops. And then one time she had these scallops and it was just, it was like a... Diarrhea city? No, no, it was more like a geyser coming out of her mouth. Oh, okay. Um, Vomit city. And then, and so she like avoided them for years and it was like, okay, you're probably good. Let's like go. We went to like a nice place, got like high quality scallops immediately threw up again huh well, so <laughs> it's like her body was like you know we're we're cutting you you've given really? up all your scallop <laughs> well, privileges well the thing with my boyfriend josh if we're name dropping yeah. um well this this fucking Wait, the like josh? <laughs> the josh guys, wow joshua so it wasn't just that he fucking like ate the crab or what, whatever shellfish he's allergic to. i don't know if it's shrimp or it's all shellfish right i guess well, I mean, I clams have shells if you're right. at a clam bake we weren't at a clam bake we were at a what is boil? it called when you a crab, boil yeah a boil yeah. of what the fucking shellfish but he didn't just eat it then he we're like you know cracking open the shells and then he's like rubbing his eyes that are all itchy from his seasonal allergies that he gets from the flowers so So he rubs like crab juice in his eyeballs and we're in fucking paso robles with my boyfriend's face blowing up it was nuts so honey right there were bees right? in the movie, and the word honey's in the movie. I love honey. Name. Oh, it is straight up in the title. I was thinking about the bee connection, oh but you're right. <laughs> it's literal. Honey. I was like wondering, I'm like, okay, I know honey. Everyone knows it's like the bees take nectar, and then before you know it, there's honey. Right. But they puke it up, right? Like, isn't honey somehow puke? Sure. It is, yeah. in fact, puke. They basically, <laughs> they drink the nectar, but nectar will spoil really quickly. So it's, they basically kind of like do canning oh. for themselves. Huh. And so they have a second stomach called a crop, 
where it mixes with some enzymes and it makes the stuff more suitable for long-term storage. What? So they basically kind of yeah do like the sugar equivalent of making fruit preserves. And then they puke that into another bee's mouth. I, that one I think what? is just kink for them. Sucking I genuinely them? don't know why they do that. But Victoria they kind of goes like down like an assembly line of bees. Is it like fermented then, nectar? Are they wine making? It doesn't have alcohol in it. Right. But it does sound very similar to like making mead. Then they eventually spit it in this honeycomb. But even then, it's still like much waterier than like honey that we know. And so they literally use their wings to like fan the water <gasps> out. Oh. And then oh when they God. feel that it's like at like a good level, then they puke up like a different goop that like seals it shut, basically like a jar. And that become that hardens into beeswax. Oh. And then they store it for the winter when there wow. are no flowers. The real diamond in the rough. This fact <laughs> lit. I and love actually, it. Um, old wine bottles used to use a somewhat similar process. They didn't have like corks on them. They would pour like an oil over the top of it, and that would like seal in the wine. And there are some like thousand year old bottles of wine that still Holy like have balls. this like layer of well, gross. There is on the such top. a thing as honey wine. Now, is that what mead is? Mead honey wine is definitely. Well, wine you can just make out of any fruit. You right. can make strawberry wine. We just, we're just used to making it out of. Grapes. Well, it tastes the best out of grapes. Right. Yeah, you can just make it out of honey. Wow. So it's pretty much just basically the yeast eats the sugar and they fart out alcohol. <laughs> well, on the subject of like more gel-like liquids. <laughs> Are we on that? It's oh, funny because right. water actually at a scale that like is depicted in the movie kind of works more like that. And, like, this is why there are water droplets. Like, oil works very differently than water because it has a lower surface tension on it. And so if it were to, like, rain oil, it would be, like, smooth across your window instead of turning into beads and droplets like water does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is all because surface tension. And what surface tension is, this happens at the liquid-to-air interface. So this is, like, where the liquid meets the air. Sure. And the liquid or rather, <laughs> it, it hovers this is against where the, the air. Or it hovers the against air. the air. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but liquid molecules are attracted to each other more than they are attracted to the molecules in the air. And so they hang together, and they create a bubble. And that's why, if you were the size of an ant, you could pick up a bubble of water like it was like a snowball yes. and you could drink it and this is why if you ever see how just water, like in a bug's life ju just like in a bug's oh life oh my god that's of exactly course, right of course because a bug's life is very accurate and i am sounded like i said that sarcastically but i mean it they <laughs> it really are and if you've ever seen how water looks on like the international space station the way it like goes into bubbles and then like if another bubble touches it they all like form into one bubble instead of well, all more just like, like balls than like they don't right. have like air inside like why well, i'm yeah bubble is the blob. term i'm using yeah, yeah like, blob is a better right. way to describe it. It, it but they like become these blobs because of surface tension and that the water's more attracted to itself than the air around it Otherwise, it would just be like a weird shower where all the water is flying all, all over the place. Have you ever seen like super slow motion showers? It's all like individual beads. Oh, right. right. Yeah. There's no like stream of water. But you had some complaints with the way the movie depicted this? Well, it was, yeah, because like they had water and it wasn't in the form of kind of like globules. Blobs. Yeah. Just... Like when they're. And of course, they weren't, there was no getting around that for them. Right. At one point, the sprinklers go off in the backyard and they're like running around as these huge drops are like slamming right, into the water like shoom, right, shoom. Right. it would be individual blobs yeah it, right. it wouldn't explode the, the way it would it's, look different right. like it, it, they explode into these like big splashes but it wouldn't splash like that mm -hmm. if it was actually at that scale 
That's like a telltale sign of like sometimes like they'll use miniatures in movies mm-hmm. to to look like a big flood mm-hmm. and water just looks different at different scales and so you can always just tell like it's bullshit. I mean, that is one element of Honey or Shark the Kids that I am okay with. Yes. Not. Oh, yeah. I wasn't bitching about it. Okay. No, I was just <laughs> saying like, oh, scientific nowadays accuracy. You would use CGI. Like, okay, Neil deGrasse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Neil de ass. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, I love you. Speaking of rain, I have a quick thing about the grossest river. <laughs> because okay, sure. they they had a the river in the movie was disgusting looking. That's true. <laughs> Pretty narnar. And God knows what that was made out of, but it definitely God. wasn't appetizing. So as I started looking into it, it was way too depressing. There's like too, <laughs> way too many contenders for the world's most polluted river. But one interesting thing that I came across was that there's this big problem known as rock snot. Oh, no. Well, that yeah. sounds delicious. It's basically an invasive algae that threatens all kinds of wildlife. It used to be super rare, but thanks to global warming, it's mm. not rare anymore. We've mm. talked about fucking toxic algaes and shit. Well, it looks like the rock is like got a runny nose, but like, but gross. <laughs> so and rock I snot is a perfect don't name Don't mean Dwayne We are Johnson. rock snot, everybody. <laughs> We're ready to blow your face off. Ready to blow your nose. So, you know, they, they domesticate that ant mm-hmm. in the movie. Oh, yeah. And I was looking into, like, do we domesticate ants? Well, the they're like ants farms, the right? An- yeah, but the answer is basically no. <laughs> However, <laughs> ants themselves are the only other species on Earth that have domesticated livestock. What? Yeah, they literally take certain species, like, like mealybugs, who are capable of biting through certain fibers that they can't get to. So sometimes they'll have, like, a very, like, barky plant that has like a really sweet, soft stuff on the inside, but the ants' mandibles aren't strong enough to get through the bark. So they literally bring like a herd with them of these bugs who like eat the outside and then they chow down on the inside and then they'll like move their herd to like a new place. And they even know that like, which of the mealybugs are like mothers and they'll like carry them on their heads. And you've talked about how like ants will notice sometimes when one of the ants is acting strange and has like one of those funguses and then they'll castrate yeah. or they, castrate. They, they, <laughs> no, they'll cast them out. They'll castigate cast them. them. Castigate. Is the way yeah. They'll castrate, <laughs> castigate. They're going to castigate those ants. Totally. Okay, Throw them so out of their society. Another nutty thing about that, by the way, is along the lines of what like ants know shit we don't know why they know, is like they can tell when like rain is going to come and they like take their herds and like move them to shelter and Ugh. we literally don't know how they know that they're like the old man that's like oh, i feel an ache in my yeah. bones like, the rains are coming I, there's any number of potential explanations they're like we just don't know how they do it so we need to take they a like, definitely serious do. Ant, dive. ant dive should we watch ants like what do we, we how do we get a bug's do- life okay there yeah. you go we could do that okay, <laughs> but definitely that's all fucking crazy back to honey i shrunk the kids land <laughs> yeah the society for the preservation of english language and literature also known as Spell. Oh, of course they it is. Awarded, Good for them. <laughs> they awarded Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with the 1989 Dunce Cap Award, citing the title's grammatical error of using the word shrunk instead of shrank. Okay. Honey, I Shrank the Kids is correct. However, of yeah. course, an unnamed Disney executive responded that the incorrect usage was on purpose and directly referenced a line of dialogue. Shut the fuck up, Sometimes Dunce Cap Award. Better. Think like, different, man. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Spell. Get yeah, over yourself. It, right. Well, it, what Dan referencing is the apple ad that should have read think differently rather than according to spell they would have just doesn't have the right spell would have had a problem with that no 
Well, next week we're doing Beetlejuice. Oh, God, I'm so stoked. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Dan. Dan. This was a ball. You brought so much to the table. This is a dream table. come true. I'm a big fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded sarcastic, but it's yeah. not. No, like <laughs> First time teller, yeah. long time listener. Yeah. You're a storyteller. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. And guys, if you have any other fun tidbits that you'd like to share with us, or if we got anything wrong, which we probably got so oh my, much wrong I know today, I did. <laughs> please let us know. Yeah, we are at Oh That's a Thing on Facebook and Twitter. I am at It's a Joya Mia on Twitter and Insta. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. Dan. Oh, I'm at Dan Ekman, but I almost <laughs> never tweet. So. Yeah. Well, I almost never <laughs> tweet. Too. Thank you guys so much for joining Please us. Please rate and you. review us on iTunes. Yeah. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com. We'll see you all next week. Yeah.